dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing good. I still love that we do that as if we haven't been just catching up for a while. I know. We're <laughs> faking it, guys. We're faking it. <laughs> Fakers. What have you been up to lately? What have you seen lately that's been good out in New York? Or bad? I was like in a panic not a panic. That's a lie. That's an over-exaggeration. I was trying to think of what I have seen since we talked last, and I'm not sure. Had I seen The Lion King when we spoke last? No. Okay. So I saw, because I'm now working at Disney, I got to go to um, a preview screening of that, an advanced screening of that, which was cool. What did you, so you liked The Lion King? Positive? Yeah. Yeah, I did. It's really, it's very beautiful, like the Jungle Book. It's John Favreau, so it looks very similar. Um, it's very faithful to the animated feature. Okay. Um, there are some some updates. Probably the biggest is Timon, and I would venture to say Billy Eichner kind of runs away with it because he's so funny. Okay. Um, it was a lot, like, I, I think I've talked about this on this show before. I don't do animal movies well. I get very distressed watching animals in distress. Mm -hmm. And it applies to cartoons as well. And my brain doesn't differentiate between real animals and cartoon animals. So I have not seen The Lion King in years because Mufasa's death, Sorry if you haven't seen The Lion King. I just spoiled it for you. Is um, very traumatizing. Interesting. So in this version, it's just so much more realistic that it's about ten times worse than the animated feature when you go to watch that part. Uh, and uh, I regretted my choice to go to the theater. <laughs> I basically wanted an exit route. I was uncomfortable. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, you will never, ever, ever catch me watching War Horse. I will never watch it. It will never happen. I can't even watch Homeward Bound. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, lost animals, sad animals, hurting animals, animals in danger, animals wounded, animals dying. Like, none of it. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on that. For me, I can kind of differentiate. It's funny you're, you're talking about this because I feel like... I just oh I know what it was not to not to interrupt your what did you see recently but it's kind of on the same thing I saw I saw the Tim Burton Dumbo oh no <laughs> I like I like, just the preview was upsetting yeah and so it was that whole thing I mean like there's an old joke on uh, the TV show Friends when they you know ask Chandler something you know. Don't you cry when Bambi's mother gets shot? And he said, oh, yes, I was so upset when the man stopped drawing the deer. That's <laughs> the idea of, like, if it's not real, I can kind of... It's still sad. It's not that it doesn't affect me, but it doesn't affect me quite as much. So I feel like I might be all right with 
The Lion King, but I'd heard kind of mixed things about this one. So I actually am about to go on a family vacation and um, it's to a place where there's an outdoor movie theater. And I have a lot of nieces and nephews who are very little. And so last year we went to see, I think it was Despicable Me 3 at the outdoor movie theater, which was for most of them like their very first time seeing a movie and it was pretty memorable. And so I think we'll be going and this year. And the double feature is Lying, the new Lion King and Toy Story 4. Um, so awesome. I will probably be seeing it this week. But anyway, did you see anything else that you had opinions about one way or another? I feel like I have, but I, I've slept since then. I cannot, I can't, mm, uh, not that I can think of. That's, That's a okay. short answer. We can <laughs> I always, have, but I just don't know what. Yeah, we can always come back to it if you think yeah, of something. Yeah, for sure. How about you? I saw two things in the theater. Um, one, because I had um, a, a rehearsal in the afternoon and a show at night and like three hours in between where I had, it was it was in a different city, so I couldn't like go home. And um, so it was a, one of my very favorite situations where I go to a movie theater and say like, what's playing right now? You know, because yeah. sometimes you just have to go with whatever's playing. And it was not a movie I think I probably would have seen in the theater otherwise. It was a movie called Stuber. I don't know if you saw previews for it. It's a comedy about a uh, an Uber driver played by Kumal Nunjami. Yeah. And he's kind of, uh, he's basically held up by a police officer who needs him to drive him around because he just had laser eye surgery. And so his eyes, I don't remember what that guy's name is. Do you know who he is? Do you know this movie now that reminded you about it a little bit? I saw the preview and I remember thinking... Why does this movie exist? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember who else is in it, though. Okay, I'm, I'm going to look it up. Because he was... And it's funny because I feel like now, whoever that guy is, I feel like I've seen oh, enough it's, it's It's, um, it's, uh, it's Batista, right? It's, um... Dave, Dave Batista, yes. Yeah, right? Yes, and I don't know who he is. I've never seen him in anything before. He's in—he's a Marvel guy. He's in Guardians of the Galaxy, and you probably don't recognize him. One, if you haven't seen those movies, but two, he's like covered in makeup. I see. Yeah, it looks like he's a WWE guy. Yeah, yeah. Although it looks like he's in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I saw. So I guess I have seen him in something. Oh, he's in the Boss too. It looks like I've seen him in a few things now that I look, but I didn't recognize him, and he does have a pretty specific look. Um, he does. So, um, yeah, the movie was okay. It was, like I said, it was it was one of those things that I probably just would have picked up from the library sometime, you know? Like, it just kind of looked like it would have a few laughs, but it wouldn't, you know, do much for me. And I would say that was pretty true. It wasn't bad. I would say it was a little bit better than I expected it to be, but I also had pretty low expectations, so it's not something that right. I'm necessarily recommending. This is neither here nor there. I, I will also say that this movie was like a, a hard R movie. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot in this movie that was adult only, and oh. of course, right next to me in the movie theater is a grandpa bringing his like eight-year-old grandson. Ouch. There are scenes in strip clubs. There's more violence than like should ever be in movies. The like nonstop language, and it's just you just want to ask the guy like, "What are you thinking?" 
did you feel that it was, you know, a situation of naivete, like naive grandpa, or grandpa really wanted to see this movie and was held up with the eight-year-old, so brought him along? My, my, I, I went through the same thought process because at first I thought, oh, this grandpa just doesn't know. But <laughs> it, it became quite clear that, like, he was fine with it. So I, I think he probably did know and probably wanted to see that movie and just... It, it that was the probably most like I don't want to say disturbing because you know I mean like there are worse things in the world like who knows what this kid's home life is maybe he sees worse stuff at home I don't know but like um it it became it, you know like if he's bringing this kid so casually to this movie what else is he doing with this kid you know like I, yeah I, it's a whole other you don't need to go down that road I'm just saying like that to me was also something that kind of like bothered yeah I could you know I wouldn't. I wasn't enjoying the movie quite as much as I might ordinarily because I was in the back of my mind. For an eight year old. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and then I did, I took my nephew to see, uh, I guess in this case, I'm kind of the bad uncle. (laughs) We we had, we had plans to see, uh, the, the Spider-Man thing. He wanted to see the Spider-Man thing. And then when the, um, Hobbs and Shaw fast and furious movie came out, he decided he wanted to see that and said, and that is PG-13. Okay. Um, it's not R. I wouldn't take him to see an R-rated movie. He's thir- uh, he's 12, but, you know, PG-13. His mom and dad were okay with it. And so um, we went to see that. I That was my first Fast and Furious movie. So uh, in yeah. in the scheme of that, I didn't, like, I, I actually, as dumb as this sentence will sound, I thought there was going to be more car chasing. There's actually not very much, like, car stuff in this movie. Okay, so I I am in a similar boat. I'm a sucker for stuff like that, so I will watch it. But for some reason, I have never, never sat down and... I think maybe I saw the first Fast and the Furious on TV, like, years ago. I have never seen any of the others. I don't even know what number we're on. I am vaguely aware of all the people who have jumped on board and are in them, like Charlize Theron. But I, for some reason, this this is an offshoot. It's an offshoot of Fast and Furious. I do know that, which might explain why there's less cars. Because it's more about Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham personality-wise, I think. Yes. Because there's such big draws to the franchise. Mm-hmm. So that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely all about them. And in fact, not that I am necessarily following this, but I happen to see a headline in which Tyrese Gibson and I think a few other people from the series are not happy about this. It feels like some of the other actors are kind of um, annoyed that this is happening, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, one of my favorite things to track is when they're making a Fast and Furious movie, there is all kinds of shit that goes down between Van, um, what's his name? Van Diesel? Vin Diesel, Vin, Vin, Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. They like go after each other sort of publicly and it's amazing. Is it, do you think it's to help like plug the movie? Is it kind of like a Betty Davis, Joan Crawford where they like kind of did it to help some publicity as much as anything else it's possible but the sense that i actually get is vin diesel is interesting okay and has no filter and i 
the impression I get is that it just drives Dwayne Johnson bonkers. And he has to speak up. Like, you can tell that he's compelled to speak up on social media. And it's all sort of smartly done where they don't go after each other directly. But it's very clearly about each other. Right. I read, I do read this fantastic gossip blog. I love it. Lainey Gossip, she's fantastic. She really, she does make an art of studying celebrities PR game. Right. Sure. And it, it's a it's a very intelligent um, look at sort of celebrity culture and and film and and theater to some degree, and so I highly recommend it. LaneyGossip.com. Plug, not an advertisement. And um, I I generally track it through her because she keeps track of it and she's amazing. You've you've mentioned that a few times, so I I need to like actually look um, to see to see if there's stuff there too. Yeah, the, I don't know. It, um, the movie itself was entertaining, you know? I, you know, like it was, it was fine. It was, he loved it. I, I felt like I needed to have a little conversation with him about the patriarchy afterwards. <laughs> Shocking. There was some problematic, um, that Vanessa Kirby, who um, she was in The Crown and um, a few other things, she is, pretty prominent in the most recent uh, Mission Impossible movie, which came out last year. But that um, is one that he and I saw in the theaters at least twice. We actually might have seen that one three times. But <laughs> she um, she's in this too. And she, she gets some kind of ass-kicking stuff too. But it's definitely like tier two compared to what they get to do. And so there are some choices, you know, that could be better <laughs> yeah but um as far as these i mean it's not the first action movie that you know is about two dudes whatever <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's amazing so anyway the first yes so um there's not a ton of merrill news there was just one little piece that i know of since last we spoke which is that it was announced uh, that The Laundromat, which is uh, one of two movies she's got coming out this year, is going to be premiering at TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival, which is uh, in September. It's also going to be at the Venice Film Festival. And uh, Meryl Streep is being honored at TIFF with the inaugural Actor Award. This is the first time. So when I saw the headline that she was getting the Toronto Film Festival Actor Award, I was like, wow, like, how has she not gotten that already? It feels like she's gotten every award under the sun at this point. But it turns out this is the first year for it. So That's awesome. Yep. Sitting. So big gala event. Um, so we should start hearing some stuff about the laundromat probably in about a month or so, which I, I still have really high hopes for that movie, I have to say. Me too. Me too. I'm excited. If you plug in the um, like Oscar predictions websites, which at this point are pretty premature and kind of, I mean, nobody has seen most of these films, so it's all speculation, but they do have her pegged in as one of the five leading actress um, kind of, they put her in at the kind of top of the list along with um, 
the woman who's playing Harriet Tubman. So um, there are a few others. I can't remember who else is on that list, but she's kind of widely regarded. I think Renee Zellweger for that Judy Garland. Oh, yeah. We kind of changed plans, although I feel like when people download these things, um, the title will give away that we are not talking about Holocaust today, like we said we were going to be. No. (laughs) This is not Holocaust at all. (laughs) No, it's not. Not even close. That's good, though. I wasn't wasn't quite mentally prepared for Holocaust. Nor was I. I now, for whatever reason. Yeah, I... I did. So I have, as I've told you privately, I have this movie on, I have Holocaust on DVD and I don't know why, but I couldn't find it. And so I had to go get it from my library. And so at most libraries, this mine is no different. You get it for one week and then you can renew two times. So I had this movie for three weeks and I never watched a single episode. <laughs> it reminds me, reminds me of being at college and doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. In college, we, I mean like, Who's going to watch Holocaust? You know, like, you just don't have time. There's Perfect. no way. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I watched it. I think I got it from our library. You probably did. Yeah, I'm not positive, though. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to recheck out Holocaust from the library. I had to return it. That's amazing. But I'm pretty sure nobody else has taken it out in the meantime, so I can just go back there and pick it up. Um, and next time we'll do Holocaust. But in the meantime, we are going to talk about Big Little Lies, which um, actually, you know what? I'm going to ask you first. Big Little Lies, season two, overall thoughts. What did you think? As entertaining as the first season. The actresses are, the actors are amazing, compelling. It falls apart a little bit there at the end. Okay. Um, as with season one, the way they wrote and dealt with Bonnie is the weak spot, I think. I agree. Yeah. Um, everything else is really strong. And then, of course, Meryl Streep is... I I won't... For those of you who haven't seen it, I'll try not to do spoilers, although we talk about this stuff in depth. So if you really don't want spoilers for Big Little Lies, perhaps turn this off and go watch it first. But the, the courtroom scene, I just sort of had this it just immediately recalled Kramer versus Kramer Mm. and to have her on a court stand defending her parental skills this with that big of you know what how many years have passed 30 40 40 um really interesting yeah I have I hadn't thought of that. One of the things I was going to ask you, I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'm going to be honest. I have, like, I don't actually have it written on pages. I have it in an email draft. But I have, like, episode by episode, I have, like, a dozen notes for each one. I have so many notes about this. That's amazing. But one of the things that, um, as long as we're kind of talking about the courtroom scenes, I also want to state, I like, there's no way I can talk about this without spoilers. Like, I, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I, if yeah. you haven't seen it and want to see it, I think we should just spoiler it up because there's just really no way to do this without that. Um, So there were a couple, there were several scenes in which, and in fact, as much as I loved 
the kind of great monologues that she got, Meryl got, it was almost a little bit repetitive in the courtroom scenes. She, but she got to do it like three different times where she essentially said the same thing. And I wanted to ask you as a former lawyer, I know you, you probably didn't do family law, but would she be allowed to make these like speeches like she would? I kept thinking like, I don't think they would let her talk like this. Just kind of like present to the court like that. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, the short answer is no. I think one of the problems with it is that attorneys, um, first of all, the attorneys would have been objecting much more. Right. And when you object, you don't just say objection and the court rules willy-nilly. You have to give a reason for your objection. Right. And it is short. So you say, you know, objection, relevance, objection, hearsay. Um, you have to explain why you're objecting, and then the court makes a decision uh, based on the rules of evidence. Um, now, I'm not saying all of this. I'm not familiar with family law court in California. But um, also, you know, with those speeches, opposing counsel would be standing up and objecting like crazy for relevance. Right. Um, also, judges... I mean, I do think judges are more lenient in family court, but you don't you don't get up and announce that you're calling a witness when the judge is about to issue their ruling. Like the the jig is up at that point, and and the judge wouldn't have allowed it in real life. Right. Um, the other thing is like the video that she shows. You can't do that either. I mean, you have to you have to disclose everything that's going to happen in a hearing to the opposing party before it happens. There are no surprises. And um, something like that would get entered into evidence and you'd have to ask the court's permission to admit it into evidence before you could ever show it. So yeah, stuff like that. It was fairly unrealistic. Yeah. And you know, it makes sense. It's for, it's to make good TV drama, which it certainly was. It like, I, I'm going to go on record here because now it's interesting because I watched it twice. I watched it weekly as the episodes came out. I did it the old school way where like you had to wait a week in between episodes. It's weird. Um, and then basically this week as we were getting ready to record this podcast, I went back and rewatched it just to kind of be fresh. Yeah. And I will say watching kind of binging it left and it might have been the second time through thing um but it might have been the binging thing too left me with a slightly different impression yeah. i would say week to week you know my like especially week six to seven you know week six when nicole kidman is uh up on the stand and then it ends with her saying that she wants to examine Meryl and you knew that that's what episode seven was going to be like, holy cow, like my heart was racing. I could not wait for that episode. Yeah. And for the people who are binging to like continue on to that right away is an amazing thing. Cause I think if you're watching that and you get to the end of six, there's no way you stop. Like you are going on to watch episode seven. Right. There is yeah. no cutting that off. Um, so this is easily, easily within my top five Meryl performances. I think she is incredible in this. She is phenomenal. I, I mean, I actually haven't. I actually, I'm ridiculous. I haven't actually thought about my rankings, but I would agree with you. It's up there. I just think, I think this performance in particular is, it's going to win her all the awards. 
I'd be very surprised if she doesn't walk away with an Emmy and a Golden Globe. Yeah. Yep, I think it, I think it's it's locked in already. I just can't imagine something else. It's always the thing of, you know, I I think it's going to be it, it, her and Nicole Kidman and maybe Reese Witherspoon in the lead role, and Laura Dern's going to win all the supporting stuff too. Yeah, uh, Reese Witherspoon is another. I I feel like I'm jumping all over the place rather than going in order. But Reese Witherspoon also is kind of underutilized this season, I have to say. She definitely wasn't in the first. And she gets some stuff. Actually, to me, the most interesting stuff that she has is with Meryl. Like, her fighting with Meryl. A couple scenes that she has are amazing. But the stuff with her and Ed just, to me, wasn't interesting. Like, I didn't care about them as a couple. I actually think that's true across the board. Like, look at Laura Dern's scene with Meryl Streep. All of Nicole Kidman's scenes with Meryl Streep. Reese Witherspoon's with Meryl Streep. Even Shailene Woodley, who I think is a slight weak spot in this season. Um, Everybody was stronger with Meryl Streep. Also because I think the writing was more dynamic. There was more conflict and more, like, buried beneath the surface. And honestly, the show was always about the relationship between the women and not their domestic lives or their spouses, even though even though that's part of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I do I do feel like the men in the world are the far less interesting because they weren't well developed in season one because that wasn't the point. Right. Well, and I'm totally, I'm totally on board with the men not being interesting. I honestly, I don't care about that. The The whole thing is, um, like, if I'm supposed to care about their marriage, I kind of don't. Right. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I really don't. Yeah. And um, I, I, it was interesting because, you know, I just kind of felt the whole time, you know, she's one of the... I, like she's one of the not creators of this, but she's an executive producer. Like she's so heavily involved yeah. in this. I felt like she really played second banana. And like I'm guessing, you know, she was fine with the stuff that she had. And you know, I don't know. It, I just kind of kept wondering, you know, she was so prominent in season one, and it just felt like if you had to like look at a character arc for the season i guess you could kind of describe most of them within a sentence or two but like her whole arc is ed finds out about her affair she tries to put her marriage back together that's kind of it that's all she had i think i think the the focus of the season really is nicole kidman's character and the aftermath of the murder and they leaned into that um yeah, because not a lot happens with the other characters, period. I mean, they all sort of go through something, but there's no real there's no real arc in terms of, like, transformation. I guess maybe there is with Reese Witherspoon. I'm not sure. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm not quite sure what the problem is. There is a problem. Well, and it starts out, like, episode one, which is what have they done. So it starts out with um, Meryl's character... Mary Louise watching. Uh, she basically is living with Nicole Kidman and her two boys after Perry's death, and kind of helping Nicole Kidman take care of um, helping Celeste take care of her two sons. And so she keeps having these nightmares every night about Perry 
you know, abusing her, as I would imagine is probably true for a lot of people who have suffered physical abuse. And so the first scene of the first episode, Meryl watches Nicole Kidman have uh, a nightmare. And I couldn't believe how still she was when she was saying, she said, she said the sentence, what was it about? You said rape. And she's at, you know, it kind of like introduces that. And then the second thing that happens is Reese Witherspoon and her daughter, who's played um, by Catherine Newton, who I think she's really good too. The the daughter I think is really good. Um, and the daughter decides she doesn't want to go to college. She's not going to go to college. And so they have a little fight about that. And they nothing to drop that. Totally, completely drop that. And that's not the only time that that happens. So I, I know I'm talking too much here, but. No, no, not at all. Immediately after that scene is the first confrontation between Meryl and Reese, which has some of the most fantastic lines Meryl has in the whole series. She looks at her out of the blue and says, you're very short. And then she she says, well, I find little people to be very untrustworthy. And then talks about, um, she tells her a story about a friend of hers in grade school. Do you remember this? Who... Another thing that you're like, wait, there's something to that story there. And there's no payoff for that. Like, no. what was the deal with that? Like, there were so many, like, loose threads that if you watch it a second time, you go, wait a second. What was the point of that? I actually, you saying all of that really helped me zero in on it. So when the when the season starts, we are dealing with the tension of them having this secret that he was pushed, that he didn't fall, right? Mm -hmm. And this fear that the police might find out. And then you have this sort of implied enemy in Meryl Streep, who's living in Celeste's house and helping with the kids. So there's that tension. And they do this beautiful job of sort of owning that for a few episodes. And then all of a sudden, it kind of shifts gears into being a custody battle. Right. Which is fine. That needed to be in there. But I think the f- I, they just totally veered from the focus that they might get caught in that lie. Right. Like the, the police officer investigating them just lost all of her teeth. You know, like any, there was no anxiety about that for me going into the second half of the season. I wasn't, it just seemed ridiculous. And Bonnie's story didn't really help in that regard because first of all, she's underdeveloped in the first season and then she's the one who pushes Perry. And then to like give her a reason to have pushed him because self-defense is apparently not enough. Right. They create this super complicated backstory for her where her mother's an abuser. And you're just like, what? Well, and I, okay, not to, there are two things there too. I feel, I feel bad now because I feel like everybody loved this season so much, myself included. I can't tell you how much I was enjoying watching this from week to week. So enjoyable because, because the, the dialogue is phenomenal. Right. actors are phenomenal and it makes it a joy to watch no matter how successful the story arc is yeah but bottom line it's a soap opera yeah and so the the stuff that happens in it is fucking bonkers because it's just right. a soap opera so um 
two things. One, I, I wish I had had, I think I mentioned this because I think, I think our last episode, we maybe talked about the first episode a little bit. Cause I think we, I think we'd both watched at that point. We did. But, um, I wish I had had the opportunity to rewatch the first season of Big Little Lies because if I'm being honest, I've only watched the first season of Big Little Lies once and I don't have great memory of it. Um, I, I remember liking it very much and I remember thinking everybody was really great in it and I remember it being kind of harrowing. There was more of the physical abuse stuff that you were like actually seeing and for me that was really tough. Um, but... So there were a few things. Uh, one is, again, as you were talking about, Bonnie is so underdeveloped in this and so like sullen the whole the whole time, just so like mopey and sad. And I'm not saying she doesn't have a reason to be. She her character wise, she did, but that's not that interesting to watch. That's the only thing you're doing, and that's kind of all she had to do. It was another instance of her and her husband were having a relationship fall apart because of guilt she was having about something that was really easily explainable. There is a bottom line to this whole thing, which is if they had acknowledged to the cops, this was self-defense, she was attacking somebody. I pushed him, I didn't mean for him to die. I don't think she would have gone to jail. I think that's actually probably the inherent problem with season two is that how do you keep the stakes high for something that's not really high stakes? Right. Um, and that's, that's the problem. Right. And they, and they covered it well in the first half with the writing and the tension with Meryl Streep. Right. Um, but it's hard to maintain that, which is why I think they switched gears into this like family custody thing, which I get. Yeah, but when they walked into the police station at the end, and I was like, well, that's not going to go that badly. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and it's a thing, too, of, like, if they really are, like, cracking under the pressure, and at times they do, like, there's one scene, a, a pretty interesting, one of the few scenes without Meryl that really crackles, actually, is when Reese Witherspoon and Bonnie kind of go after each other. There's one scene where they kind of, like, yeah. are all meeting. And they start to kind of crack and you can tell they're starting like it's kind of fracturing them in the sense of like Nicole Kimmon and Reese are like one side and Shailene and, and Bonnie are, uh, or Zoe Kravitz are on the other side. I guess we should decide whether we're talking actor names or character names. Right. Um, the, uh, the only other thing I want to say about Bonnie real quick is it's also, I might be being too sensitive about this, but there's also something slightly problematic about having the really the only African-American actor and her okay. mother is like a voodoo powering. Right. Like, it, oh. it just, we don't need that. Yeah, I entirely agree. And I, I do think that was her underdevelopment. I'm not the only one to have said that last season, obviously. And there was a lot of, there was some complaint about the fact that she's like basically the one African-American character in the show. Mm -hmm. And she's just completely underwritten. And then, yeah, and then you decide to write more about her, but we, and yeah, 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 agreed. It doesn't, it doesn't quite sit well. Right. Also, I find where they took the character completely inconsistent with season one, what little we did have of her, she was sort of a light, hearted 
she felt like, you know, sort of a millennial. She was a yoga teacher. She, you know, she had her shit together. And this season, I definitely can understand how shoving somebody off some stairs and having them die would um, completely upend your life. That I don't question. But then to try and put some of the burden of her depression and trouble on this, like, really fraught relationship with her mother seemed so out of left field. Yep. And unwarranted. You didn't need it. Honestly, the cop, the cop was an, a lost opportunity. Yep. Because how interesting that a an African-American female cop is investigating this guy's death, this white guy, potential abuser's death, and here are five women who potentially murdered him and what it must be like to try and investigate and prove that they're guilty of that. Would you even want to? I wouldn't. Right. And they just didn't, they didn't go there at all. Yeah. No, you're right. I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're right. That there, there were choices that could have been made. Um, and, you know, for such a, like, uh, obviously it's a female fronted show i mean like it's so it's some of the best female dialogue it i mean like really a lot of it passes the brechtel test i mean it kind of is yeah yes and no it is talking about a man but it's because a man they killed you know so it's not really like it's slightly kind of asterisk brechtel test, but um it's i you know it's so it's such a good piece for such great actresses you know that some of the choices that were made ultimately kind of are questionable um here's another thing that i this is such a minor thing it's almost not worth bringing up but i don't it it was another one of those like we're really going to devote time to this storyline it goes back to ed played by poor adam scott who i think is a good actor (laughs) who's underused so the first scene that he has in this is he runs into this woman, Tori, at the supermarket. And the first thing out of her mouth is he says something like, oh, I didn't recognize you. And she says, oh, what with his breasts? Because and then she explained that she just had a, a breast, a boob job. And it's like so jarring. And she's got them jacked up to her neck. And it, I didn't remember her at all from the first season. No, I don't either. Was she okay. in the first season? Okay, good. I, I, maybe maybe she wasn't. That was the whole thing. That's why I thought I was forgetting some stuff from the first season. But that makes me feel better that maybe I maybe she wasn't in the first season. I don't remember. But I it kind of, you know, I it's understandable that like we there was a slight retread into like Reese Witherspoon having an affair with the teacher. I got all that. I did think some of the scenes with that the principal at the school were pretty good. When he calls her the, what is it? He says something about the, like, the, the fucking Medusa of Monterey or something. Yes. Honestly, uh, Laura Dern is one of my favorite parts of the season. I just love, I just love how unapologetic she is. Yep. In all of her anger and her indignancy, I just love her. <laughs> I 
have to well she was also my favorite thing about the first season and i think a lot of it has to do with that is such a ballsy performance by laura dern she is so fearless even the first i i keep talking about the first scene of everybody but i think the first time we see laura dern she's having a photo shoot done and she's singing this it's my house and i live here it's the most you look at this woman and you think you are the most insane person delusional out of your mind and then it, later scenes when she smashes uh, you know when when things have gone awry for her and she just says screw this and she smashes everything in her husband's room because they have nothing left that scene where she throws him out of the car is magic it's dynamite the scene she has with Meryl Streep where she calls her, you are judgy, judgier or whatever, you know, like something like that in the coffee yeah. shop. Everything she does is magic in this show. It is. Oh, she's phenomenal. I just love her. And really, honestly, you have, I had dual emotions every time I watched her. And this is why, you know, her performance is so beautiful. Is that in the first instance, I think, Oh my God, that woman is bonkers, right? And then another part of my brain kicked in and I go, hell yes, that's how you react to that. Right. Right. It's, it highlights, her performance highlights for me all the ways in which our culture tells me I need to be nice. Right. Because that's my friend's first instinct when I watch that character in action. I judge her and I say, oh my God, you need to cool your jets and be nicer, which is not correct. Right. Right. And then, and then the other part of my brain kicks in and I'm like, oh yeah, I would totally destroy my cheating asshole husband's toys. Yeah. Well, and they have nothing to lose, if you think about it. Like, they've they've been forced to declare bankruptcy. He's going to jail. Like, everything they own is being repossessed. Yeah. If, you're at, if you're at that point, why not smash some shit? <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's not yours anyway. You've, they have garnished everything from you that they can, so <laughs> go for it. And the way the bankruptcy judge takes her wedding rings and how humiliating it is and... She's being asked to sit on her anger and it's not her fault that she's there in the first place. And I just got so furious on her behalf. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And then we find out other little things like he's been fucking the nanny the whole time. Yep. Because uh, of course he has. So, you know, that's another thing that you can see why this woman has gone to the place that she's gone, although she also started at, there is there are a lot of things just in that storyline. Like, if you think about the awkwardness of some of this, let's talk about the therapist who comes to their house who's dressed as little Bo Peep. Oh, it's so freaky. Oh my God, it's amazingly crazy. What the hell? Let's, let's talk about the scene in which they throw for their daughter, who is what, nine years old? They throw a disco theme birthday party, which they hire the band that tramps there because a seven year olds know what disco is like what? Oh God, it's amazing. It's so, it's so bad. It's good. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's that's the thing is like there's so much awkwardness, even not just not even just with with Laura Dern's character. I felt like the whole I wasn't a huge fan of it, but the whole like Shailene Woodley dating that Corey kid, like everything about that was just awkward and weird. The like constant let's just hug for five minutes while a song plays thing got. Yeah, everything everything just got one noted a little bit like. Um, especially with Adam Scott. I really liked his character in the first season. Um, I think I think they dragged out the will he forgive her, will he not thing too long. And it played as, it, it played as almost him being whiny. Right. And I don't think that was the intention. And um, it didn't, it didn't quite work. And yeah. Also, Bonnie's husband, Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband, is whew, he doesn't have a lot to do either. He did have, though, in that last episode, when she tells him she thinks she never loved him, he had just a really, really lovely acting moment. And I was like, oh, I'm like upset for you, buddy. Yeah. I actually thought he was really good. Um one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, and I think they, this I think they did well from a writing standpoint, because I think they did just enough that it was interesting. And I think if they had done any more, it might not have been. But the kind of ambivalence, which borders, which kind of starts to turn into like a little bit of kind of actual real negativity between Adam Scott's character and Bonnie's husband. I kind of like that. They, yeah, I think they could have. I think they could have taken that a little bit further too. Yeah, the, I'm looking up that actor. I, as a total side note, um, having nothing to do with the little lies, that actor. Oh my gosh, what's his name? I can't find him. Um, that actor was in a TV show, oh God, years and years ago with Anne Hache called huh. Men in Trees, and it was set in Alaska. And I freaking loved this TV. I just thought it was so funny. And I don't know if it actually is, but my brain then thought it was very fantastic. And I have tried to find it streaming. It's not available streaming. And I, this makes me very sad. Hmm. Um, I'm looking it up because, yeah, 2006 to 2008. And that actor's name is James Tupper. Interesting. Well, that scene where he and Adam Scott kind of come, uh, I think Adam Scott is out biking and he's out running and they kind of come a, come upon each other. And yeah. uh, he stops and I can't remember what the request is. It is, I don't think it's the time when he asks Adam Scott to take Bonnie out to talk. But there's, they, he said, he asks him something and Adam Scott just kind of dismisses him. And, you know, he was like, why are you being such an asshole? And Adam Scott says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something yeah. along the lines of like, why can't we just acknowledge that we don't like each other? He says, you know, like, it's okay. Like, there doesn't have to be a reason. We can just not like each other. And, like, you know, he's kind of, because of Reese Witherspoon's infidelity, he is at that kind of point in his life where he's just kind of like, the filter is gone a little bit and he's just speaking openly. Yeah. And it's interesting to see somebody young, you know, like Meryl is also doing that. 
And Laura Dern is also doing that, but seeing somebody who kind of just has nothing to lose by just kind of speaking their mind. And I don't know, to me, that was kind of interesting. So I guess maybe I'm changing my tune a little bit. Maybe maybe Adam Scott's character did have a little bit of something, but... It's better in the... Everything is better in the first half of the season. It's the last... It's really the last three episodes um, that they kind of lost their way. Interesting. I found that court stuff so riveting i can't even tell you it is a testament it's hard to write courtroom stuff um i think it's a testament to the writers in the show that um you know they walked the line okay in terms of the legality and the drama and trying to balance those two things um you know and they did deal with relevance I can see why you being a lawyer, this would be so much harder for you to watch. It, it, I have a hard time with legal shows, period. But honestly, like they're acting trumps. I was able to like let go. I think they did a good job of when necessary. Keep They kept the camera in close on Nicole Kidman or Meryl Streep. So you kind of forget you're in a courtroom. And then I love... I did, I did like this. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place, too. Um, so, Nicole Kidman, so much of the focus on her character, on Celeste, is this domestic situation. Right. And I had honestly forgotten that she was a lawyer from season one. I, I had forgotten. Right. And to sort of watch her kind of take her strength back and get up and use her intelligence and her education to fight for her kids and herself. Yep. Very gratifying. Yep. Very. Yep. Um, so that part I really enjoyed. Yeah. She, I could watch Meryl Streep and uh, Nicole Kidman go after each other in a courtroom drama any day of the week. I know. I wanted, I wanted it on loop in that regard. The two, the two of them together... And honestly, Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep together. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon really holds her own. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it it was lower stakes because, you know, I mean, like, obviously, it's the the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law thing. So even things like, let's talk about this slap when when Nicole Kidman (laughs) slaps Meryl Streep. Holy (laughs) shit. Yeah. So good. You want to talk about, this is a weird thing to talk about because it's like, you know, it's one woman hitting another woman. I'm a man talking about it. I I know that's a little bit odd, but I also have to say, like, that was a good slap. That that was a solid, like, sometimes you see a slap or a punch in a movie and you're like, oh, that looks so fake. Holy cow. Was this a good slap? It looked pretty real. It looked really real. And then... Like, even little details. This is why Meryl Streep is the best at everything. The way, like, what does she do? She examines her glasses. She examines the ends of her glasses as if some, you know, like, she isn't sure that those are going to be, uh, or she thinks that they're um, broken. Broken. And then her line, I, I know she didn't come up with those. She was given the line. But she says, well, what shall we call that? Or play? And then, do you know what she did? She oh. laughed. As she was walking away, she kind of like laughed, like this taunting. It's very subtle. It wasn't like she laughed in her face, but she just kind of like, as she walked away. And I was like, who would think to laugh in that scenario? That it's so, 
between the scream that she did in the first episode and the slap that she took in the fourth episode, and then that unbelievable exhale that she did in the seventh episode when she was on the stand and Nicole finally gets to her about like, did, is it your fault that kid? And she, and she rises up like those three moments. If that doesn't win her a fucking Emmy, I. (laughs) It's so true. Holy cow. Any one of those scenes. Actually, you know what other scene that I loved with her, as long as we're talking about this now, um, she, so it's, it's one of the other kind of, I would say bigger plot points in the series is that um, we also find out, I guess I can't remember if this was, I think this was part of season one that Perry. So Nicole Kidman's ex-husband who was killed, he raped Shailene Woodley at some point. And so he's really the father of her, her kid Ziggy. Yeah. And so there are elements there of Meryl comes to know this. And so she knows that she's, essentially grandmother to this other boy in town and she knows who Shailene Woodley is. And so that's kind of how Shailene Woodley and Meryl come to know each other. Um, But then there's also stuff with Nicole Kidman's sons who now know that they're half brothers of this kid. And there's, you know, some elements of he's uh, Ziggy is being kind of bullied on the playground and Nicole Celeste's uh, sons, Josh and Max, I think. Um, come to defend him and they all beat up the kid who's bullying Ziggy and all of them suspended and um, that whole storyline. But there are some really kind of crackling scenes with Meryl and Shailene Woodley in which she wants to get to know Ziggy because again, he's technically her grandson. And so at first it's before kind of everybody really realizes kind of how crazy Mary Louise is but she seems kind of open. She seems a little bit guarded about it, but she says, you know, I need, it, it'll take some getting used to, but she at least is willing to like sit down and talk mm-hmm. to, Meryl, to Mary Louise about Ziggy. And, you know, she asks him quest. She asks, uh, what is Shailene Jane? Is that Shailene's character's name? Jane? Okay. So Mary Louise asks Jane some questions about Ziggy. Is he sweet? Is he, you know, things like that. And then she starts to, as she does throughout the series, she tries to basically defend Perry by, by asking Jane, you know, I found out that, uh, you know, Perry and Celeste had kind of a, a physical relationship when they would, you know, it was, it was violent. And so maybe he misinterpreted something that you were doing. She, she always kind of tries to put the blame on the women. And I do think that's one thing the show does incredibly well, better than a lot of things I've seen, if anything, is that the the subtlety and the nuance of victim blaming, Right. it's quite complicated, and I don't usually see it done with such clarity. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Done really well. Yeah, and so then, obviously, things are not good between Jane and Mary Louise. And after after uh, Mary Louise's attorney, really, like that courtroom scene when Nicole Kidman is on the stand and Mary Louise's attorney asks her questions that are so difficult to watch. You know what I mean? Amazing Dennis O'Hare. God, I love that actor so much. He's great. Yeah. But, like, you hate that lawyer. Hate like, yeah. You hate him. 
the questions that he asks are so inappropriate, are so unfair. And you, I mean, like, it's probably, that's another thing that I, I like, it's kind of a separate discussion, but it's like, why lawyers, like, that's got to be an incredibly difficult thing as a lawyer. Like, every once in a while, you have to do something like that, where you know, like, you have to attack somebody who doesn't deserve to be attacked. That's got to be awful. From my own experience, which is limited, um, you know, I practice law in southeastern New Mexico, and the attorneys that I worked with, and and the attorneys that were opposing, I think there's a level of. I think in law school you learn to be adversarial, and you learn you learn to be such an advocate for your client that you really can sort of psychologically close out or push out the counter arguments. Right. And you can get up in court and wreak havoc on somebody else and, and really put it in a box. I could never, ever, ever, ever do it. Right. Well, I was going to say you as a normal person, Meryl have got to understand why that's fucking insane. Yeah, no, I, I was like, Opposing counsel would like call me on the phone and say, "This is ab- you are absolutely preposterous and ridiculous. I can't believe you would ever suggest this as a possible solution." And I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, you're right." <laughs> and then I'd have to like hang up the phone and be like, "Wait, that can't be right. Why? Let me think about all the reasons why he's not right. This is very hard." I, yeah, and I am way too empathetic way way too empathetic i yeah i worked on one case where i was asked to i'm not gonna divulge too many facts but i was asked to dig through a young woman's instagram and facebook to find photos that made her look promiscuous right to essentially assassinate her character i was like i'm not doing this I am not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean is, you know, I, it's a, it's such a, it's such a like great thing. It's nasty, but it's also such like a great prime thing for, for a show like this. This is why, um, not this show particular, but a show like this could hypothetically like go on forever. This is why law and order has run for 50 billion years. Um, but it's, it's the idea that, you know, like morally, there's so much stuff. I'm like, do you really think that lawyer wanted to be asking the questions he was asking? It's a, it's a really interesting subject because if he was hearing Mary Louise's side of the story exclusively, because it stands to reason that he probably didn't really hear much of Nicole Kidman's side of the story, right? He's hearing Mary Louise's concerns, which if you're hearing just that side and you're hearing, well, you know, she crashed the car when she was on Ambien. I don't want her to do that if the boys are in the car. Um, you know, if that story is true, which it probably is based on what the show kind of led us to believe of, you know, the one of them trying to go into her room um, in the middle of the night to crawl into bed with her and finding a strange man there and her not remembering it the next day, you know, like you could understand why he would have concerns about the the boy's welfare, but would you, even if you had those concerns, like, would you feel comfortable uh, 
you know, trying to reframe the like physical abuse she suffered, would you like be willing to reframe that as her fault? And like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was basically saying she was asking for that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very, um, there are so many discussions behind closed doors um, about like the line you walk when you're um, doing a cross-examination of a witness, uh-huh. especially in cases like this, like to what extent do you play the bad guy? To what extent, to what extent do you make the witness sympathetic to, if you have a jury, there wasn't in this, but if you have a jury, to what extent do you go after that person and how is it going to affect the way the jury reads that person? Are they going to see them as being attacked and sympathetic or, um, or not? And right. there's so, there are so many mechanical discussions going on behind closed doors about jury perception. Um, so it's always taken into consideration if you're a good attorney. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, this was interesting. Like, I think there were moments where I really felt like he was pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable, but also it's the, there wasn't a jury. And then also like the way it was written, her counsel would have been just objecting like crazy. That wasn't really there. So it was sort of allowed to have free reign. So yeah, I think it came off probably worse than intended because they didn't have that. Right. Yeah. It was just, to me, that was so interesting. I loved the courtroom stuff so much. And again, when the only thing um, that to me felt kind of strange, and this kind of might be what you were um, talking about with, with the wheels kind of falling off towards the end was there was such buildup to me, to, to to me anyway, um, of that, like, it just seemed epic. You know, episode six is basically Nicole Kidman on the stand. And then at the last minute, the last scene of episode six, she calls Meryl Streep to, to testify as well. And so, you, like I said earlier, you basically know, like, that's what episode seven is, is like, now it's Meryl's turn to be on the stand. And dear God, Nicole Kidman is going to be acting as her own counsel. She's gunning for her. This is going to be this is it. Like, this is the payoff for the whole season, right? Yeah. And so it felt to me like the first 10 minutes or so, maybe 15, were that. So effective, so good. Unbelievable acting, really great writing. You see the harrowing video. You see, again, that, like, inhale that Meryl does, and you start to see her prodding about what happened to your boys. So Perry has a twin brother who died when, or not twin, they weren't the same age. They weren't twins, uh, but had a, had a brother. Mary Louise had two sons and one of them died in a car accident while she was behind the wheel. So that again, like it kind of felt like that's where this was leading. We're going to find out that she was responsible for it. And we kind of do, but we kind of don't. And we don't really get the payoff there. No. And in fact, to me, that whole scene ended really abruptly. I agree. I think also, um, I thought it was an interesting choice that I didn't quite necessarily find believable when Meryl Streep sees the video of the abuse. 
Uh-huh. And then Stan, I think those extra speeches they give right at the end yeah, was, like, uh, just too far. Okay. Like, the extra speeches didn't need to happen. They needed to be gone. Because what happened was, basically, you, I felt like Meryl Streep's entire trajectory was undermined by her all of a sudden being like, I had no idea. Oh, my son really is abusive. Right. Like, you had to see a video to acknowledge it. I mean, I think I could be wrong because I don't have children, but I I think when your child has done something so egregious and so bad, no amount of evidence in the world will get you there because it's just too much. Right. Well, that's kind of the whole, yeah, that's an interesting, I thought you were actually going to say something completely different from that, which is like, I mean, you could say the same thing about people who are like in cults or people who follow certain, let's say, political leaders right now, president of the United States (laughs) off a cliff. Like you can, you can see the bad behavior right in front of your eyes. Yeah. But you're not choosing to believe it. It's Scientology. It's all of this stuff where you can see it, but you're choosing not to believe it. Right. So to have Meryl Streep's character, Mary Louise, just refuse to believe that her son was capable of this until, like you say, she sees a video of it. And all of a sudden, it kind of switches. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm like, well, actually... The, the, I, I kind of agree with you that the last the last speech that she gives could be cut mostly because, like, uh, as I was saying earlier, I felt like it's exactly the same speech it's that she gave. It's repetitive. It's exactly the same speech that she gave in her opening statement when it was not when it was just like the two of them and their attorneys in front of the judge, like meeting, you know, like the very first time that they met. She asks to give a little speech in which she says, you know, I don't have hard hard feelings. I love my daughter-in-law. I believe she's a good mother. I just, we have to do what's best for the boys. Like that whole thing. It's that exact same thing. Again, it's the same speech. There's no new material there. I felt like they did it because they were trying to, I think they were trying to make sure that you never felt a black and white, um, felt that the story was black and white in terms of villain and good guy you know, that you could see both sides of the stories at all time. And so I think they were trying in that moment to make her more empathetic. And it just didn't, it didn't need to be there. They had already nuanced it enough. Yeah. Because you really did, throughout the season, you really do see Nicole Kidman engage in some pretty sketchy behavior. And I, even though I didn't like Mary Louise, I never felt like she was a bad guy in her decision to try and get custody of the kids. Like, I always believed, she believed it was the best thing to do. Right. That she was kind of delusional at some point. Yeah. But that in her mind, she was doing the right thing. It wasn't about being villainous or getting back at Nicole Kidman. And that was good writing. They didn't need that extra can I ask you about one scene? Yes. There's one scene where I kind of wondered, and it was actually, it was funny because when I thought, when I saw it, I was like, man, we need Meryl Streep to play. Like, I think the closest she's come is in the Manchurian Candidate where she was kind of like really not a particularly redeeming character. Yeah. Where we need to see Meryl play a bad guy at some point and maybe a horror movie, which is... The second scene that she has with Shailene Woodley, where Shailene Woodley shows up at her house. I think this is episode six. She shows up at Mary Louise's um, 
apartment and basically yells at her and says, you know, why are you doing this to Celeste? Why are you putting through this? She's not a bad mother. She's just a woman who's struggling. And Mary Louise says, are you struggling too? And they, it kind of escalates. You remember that scene? Yes. And um, I can't remember the context of it off the top of my head, but Shailene Woodley says something about a gun. I think she says she bought a gun, maybe, or something. No, she says, aren't we all? It comes up, um, Meryl Streep brings it up to her. Because... There is a line about a gun, because Meryl says, did you come out here to shoot my son? She says something like that. Ziggy told some. Ziggy told the other boys that he, she had a gun. Like he, Meryl Streep found out via Ziggy. Okay, so... As that scene escalates, she Mar- Mary Louise pushes Shailene. Yes. The door closed on Shailene Woodley's character, Jane. Jaylene, Jane continues to scream at her from outside the room. Yes. And you see, like, as I feel like as she's pushing Jane out, she's, like, taunting her. And I feel like once the door is closed and Mary Louise is safe inside and Jane continues to scream, I feel like we see a smile on Mary Louise's face. Like, she's happy that yes. she is getting to Jane. And that to me is the moment where I'm like, Oh, th- there is some evil here. There is some definitely in, there are some choices. It's anger. I yeah. think that's what Meryl Streep does so beautifully with this role is that all of the niceness, all of the politeness, all of the containment is sitting on a well of anger, anger about her son's her first son's death, anger about Perry's death, anger that she doesn't know what happened, just angry. And and I think it speaks so much to Perry's character. I just think it's amazing that Meryl Streep can enrich and inform a dead character that existed in the season before. Like right. <laughs> that that she is able to do that is so, oh God, she's so amazing. It's ridiculous, people. It's ridiculous. I I mean, I'm not kidding. I could do a whole nother episode on like talking about this. I know. I mean, how long have we been going? Uh, An hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, guys, we're not even close to being done. That's how much we loved her in Big Little Lies. And I mean, I we've kind of we've actually destroyed this show way more than yeah. I thought we would. <laughs> right, which is so funny because honestly, like big overall, I loved it. I loved the crap out of this show. Yeah, so we're being so nitpicky, but it's it's worth discussing because it's what makes the show interesting and it makes our conversations interesting and it definitely informs the way I watch it. Well, again, like what this show, I mean, like it's. It's such an interesting mix of a couple things because it's a soap opera, it's camp, but it yep. also is really intense, very serious issues. Yes. Like physical abuse, murder, like there is some real shit. Infidelity, there is some real shit going down in this in this show. And what's funny is like a lot of people, I think, if you go on to IMDb and Amazon and you look at the negative reviews, mm-hmm. it's... It's a bunch of, oh, who wants to watch these entitled, you know, rich, spoiled women of Monterey? Everybody. <laughs> yeah. So you're missing the point, if that's what you think this is. Yeah, right. It's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, um, there, is, 
there is a little bit of that that's glorified maybe the most in Laura Dern's character, but there's also a fall that comes from that. Like, it's not really glorifying that. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's complex. It is very so, complex. Before, before we completely move on, because yeah. um, we've, we've spent some time on this now, although like I said, I could go on forever. Um, I have a couple questions about the ending. Two okay. kind of specific things that I wanted to ask you how you felt, and then one thing that I wanted to say how much I loved it. Um, uh, okay, I'm just going to say what that is. I love that Willie Nelson song that they ended the show with. Yes. Holy shit. So good. It was amazing. Um, so that's Willie Nelson. Um, he just canceled his tour today. He's not feeling good. So he like canceled a bunch of dates. I hope you're okay, Willie. Yeah. Um, I got, I put this on Facebook and I know you saw it cause you think I got scammed out of going to see Willie Nelson and Alison Krauss last week. So depressing that I, I had, um, I had a gig cancel. And so they were playing in town and, I tried to see if I could get last minute tickets and I just looked on the Facebook event page. Just never do that. Just never do that. Go, go somewhere legit. And there were a bunch of people who were like, Oh, I can't go after all. I'm selling my tickets. And I made the mistake of PayPaling somebody some money for a ticket. And then their profile immediately disappeared. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Anyway. So don't just don't do that. Just go somewhere legitimate. There are legit places you can buy tickets. So just do that. Um, but that song, it got me. The other thing that I was curious whether you thought it was effective, whether it got you, I will say the first time I didn't read too much into it. And the second time it really, I found it very, very moving, which is that immediately after, this is a big spoiler, but immediately after Celeste is awarded full custody of her children, um, she leans down to the boys and says, I need you to do something for me. And she has them go hug Mary Louise. Yeah. That... I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to that idea that that line may walk between trying very hard not to make anybody a villain or a bad guy. Right. Just human. But and maybe, it, maybe it again is on the same thing. Maybe it's just like, you know, when you're in the heat of battle, maybe things are different because that earlier in that same episode, Mary Louise comes over and, you know, says it's before trial kicks off that day. She says to Nicole Kidman, I'm sorry things have gone so far. You know, we're family. And she and and Celeste looks at her and says, we're not family, Mary Louise, which to me was like, oh, wow, that's a really kind of cutting thing to say to your mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the writing, really. It's, it has such gold moments. Oh, I it's will tell the, you, this kind, this kind of goes back to a little bit of what you're saying with sort of you know, the content of the show being so heavy. I really love melodrama. It is one of, or potentially my favorite genre. Like going back to melodramas of the 1950s, I, when I was little, one of the first, one of the first movies I watched and like really, really, really loved, it wasn't one of the first, but when I was, was with Peyton Place. Mm -hmm. And, it was just, it was Lana Turner, high melodrama. But I, the thing that I loved about it is it dealt with these really serious issues. And Always. everything was really heightened. This show is a modern offshoot of that for sure. And I yeah. love it. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so two last things. One really quick. Um, 
How did you feel about, so again, basically the, the whole thing ends with this, after, after the court case, the Willie Nelson song starts playing and we see two things. We see Reese Witherspoon and Ed renewing their vows. Yeah. Did you, that seemed like kind of an anticlimactic thing for the end. Agree or disagree? Agree. I mean, they set it up, so it wasn't surprising. Yeah. I think I was a little surprised that to wrap it up, they sort of montaged all the couples in their various states of existence. Right. Um, yeah. It just, to me, read as like, kind of like, I don't know, this season was so much about the like, Mary Louise Celeste thing that like Reese Witherspoon's character just kind of felt again it, it felt like second banana and nothing against Reese Witherspoon this is not an attack on her it's I, I think the character was underdeveloped it's not like I said the yeah. scene she was in she was great although again the writing thing this goes back a little bit but um, uh, I'm trying to decide how I felt about the PTA meeting where she got up and gave that speech where she started crying and quoting the rainbow connection oh my god I loved it I'm not sure Right. Like, performance-wise, it was amazing. I'm yes. not sure it quite... They just let the ball drop on it. I know. What the hell was that? Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, is, like, you have an entire season where Ed and... What's her character's name? Um, we're, well, anyway, we're Reese Witherspoon yeah. and, and her husband, Ed, are really talking about th this idea of trust. Right. And can I trust you? I don't know how I can trust you. And he finally says, okay, I'm willing to try and trust you. Let's renew our vows. She says, yes, they renew their vows. And then the last shot of the entire show is them walking into the police station where she's just like basically launched a grenade into her renewed vowed marriage. Right. Okay. So that was obviously the next thing I was going to ask was, okay, so let's talk about the actual ambiguous. They avoided this giant, I mean, that was one of the major trust issues, even though he didn't know it and they never dealt with it. And they sh like, that would have, I think that would have made the show more cohesive if at some point the spouses had found out. Right. And we're in the mix in terms of trying to figure out what to do. Because that whole lie just ended up being an island in the show that never really had any effect. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. The um, It was ambiguous in a way. The ending itself was... I actually, again, the first time that I saw it, I kind of was like, okay, I get it. Because it kind of seems like it is... It, it seems entirely unlikely that they will get everybody back for season three. And story-wise, it's probably best that they just don't. I think they're done. I think so, too. I think they've said that. Well, they they have, but they've also kind of all said things along the lines of, like, it's all because of scheduling. If we could find a way, maybe. But, you know, it's just unlikely that everybody's schedules will. Right. Everybody's left it open enough. And I feel like they also said that after season one. That, like, oh, this is a one-and-done thing. And then, all of a sudden, season two became a possibility. I just think that, you know, like, because it's been a big hit, like, we'll see how things go at awards season and all of that. But, like, I don't think it's impossible um, however, I think story-wise, it's probably, like, I don't know where they would take it, but I think they left it, what I'm trying to say is I think they left it ambiguous enough 
that like you maybe could go somewhere with it. I think what you would have to do is let go of this cohesive storyline now and really dive into a, a seasonal melodrama, you know, where the characters have their own story arcs and, and I'm not sure they'll do that because this was really made more like in a miniseries fashion. Right. Well, honestly, what you just described is in some ways more interesting. Like, like you said, if if uh, a season of a television show or a miniseries or whatever is going to be about a crime, it better be a damn good crime. And this wasn't a good crime. This was like, right. <laughs> this was an accident that could have been pretty easily explained. Yeah, and seriously, five powerhouse actresses basically held held this thing up with stilts, right? Like they, with their sheer talent, sort of, and the and the dialogue in between them and what they did with it really props this thing up big time yeah no this was um this was so freaking enjoyable it was just like i said this is for me easily top five performances for meryl yeah i loved her performance in this so much she just she was every scene that she was in there was really true excuse me there was no scene that she was in that was anything less than magnificent. Agreed. Every single thing she did was just perfect. And pretty much top to bottom, I would say that, I mean, Nicole Kidman was stunning in this. Laura Dern was so fun to watch. Um, the other three didn't have quite uh, the material that, that you know, Nicole and, and Meryl had, but they were all great. I think performance-wise, they were all great. Yeah. Um, it's just they had some... Que- you know, like, when you've got Reese Witherspoon, like, dancing around in her wedding dress and we're supposed to believe, like, that magically changed everything for Ed, I don't really get that. Uh, no, that was bad. <laughs> I mean, like, he literally says that at one point. He was like, and then I saw you dancing in your wedding dress, and I was like, what the hell? Like, okay. Yeah, it was a little on the nose. <laughs> it's like, did you have to tell us? Couldn't you have shown us? Yeah be a little more subtle about it yeah so little stuff like that but again like i feel like we were kind of hard on um <laughs> Very hard on it. I agree. but you know what damn, damn it they were so good they were all so good the direction was really good um it's like location porn out there you know in monterey like everything just looked so good out there it just yeah so good i think for a long time as we were doing these episodes last year, we were talking about, you know, speculating about what this was going to be, you know, this, this whole big, we spent a lot of time wondering, is she going to have a big part? Is she going to, you know, get some good stuff to do? Is she going to be part of this thing? Or is it just kind of a glorified cameo? And man, did we get an answer? Like what a great role. So good. So good. And I don't think, she could have delivered any better. I mean, it was just so good. Yeah. Favorite, favorite moment? Are you asking or you want yeah, to? Yeah, I'm asking. Um, like, I mean, the, I, it's hard. I like, honestly, the, like the entire time she was on the, uh, on the witness stand, I thought was incredible. That like gut wrenching inhale. But also the slap, also this, 
also the scream in the first episode, also that scene with Shailene Woodley, also the tea scene with Laura Dern. Yes. Oh, that scene. Okay, real quick. That is one of my favorite scenes because Laura Dern calls her in and she's going to be the badass that she is and she's going to command that situation. And Meryl Streep just takes it and flips it on her and continually takes her power over and over and over again. You're a master. Yep. yep. It's just everything she did. Did you have a specific favorite scene from her? It's I think my favorite moment. I mean, I'm with you on all of it. It's all so good. But my favorite moment still is when she tells Reese Witherspoon that she finds short people untrustworthy. That's true. That's, I feel like that's the first scene where you really get the full impact of Mary Louise and her... her um, prevailed nastiness well yeah that's like the second scene of season or of the first episode i mean it's so yeah. early it's such a good insight into wait a second did she just i mean even the phrase before that they you're very short like that's how she yes. says hello to her. oh god and you know i've no I, I you you know people like that the the family members or the people who just are can just take manipulate you into a place of anger so quickly right it's fascinating yeah 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 well amazing amazing um i don't really have my rankings right in front of me to be like specific about numbers but i'll do it next time with holocaust i pulled mine up um i i won't talk about movie rankings right now since we're that's a tv show and i'm gonna have to think about that but performance wise my top five are the post julie and julia devil wears prada postcards from the edge and adaptation and i i need to re-watch the post i was very moved by the post i was too yeah and so i i definitely it's definitely in the top five for me as well i'm not sure what it bumps out though well it's I got a it's got to bump adaptation now, won't it? Because either way, it's, that's the number five right now, right? Yeah, yeah, true. It bumps adaptation down. I'm just not sure where I put it in there. Sure. I love her performance in Julie and Julia so much uh, for just, just emotional reasons. I just find it so lovely. I so do, too. And I don't have a huge attachment to Julia Child. I just think she's no. just so light and like just so much she's so much she's just joy to watch joyous yeah and um so and i i also am quite quite attached to her miranda Priestley. so i'd probably put it at number four okay but yeah. it's so good that feels wrong yeah. <laughs> i'm like i feel like it should be number one <laughs> well what can you do you know it's something being so good. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So let's continue on to some other segments. So we had um, ideas for a couple new segments here. Uh, one was suggested to us um, by Megan Flood Johnson uh, that we talk about how this movie was relevant to today. I actually feel like we've kind of done that. I don't know that I need to say any more on that. Like it's just relevant to everything that's happening with me too. Right. Um, this whole this whole miniseries is relevant for far too many women is basically what it comes down to. Um, so I don't know that we need to touch on that. And actually, I don't have a specific one. I had an idea uh, that I'm basically ripping off from one of my favorite podcasts, which is 
How Did This Get Made, um, which is a podcast where they completely destroy bad movies and they just make fun of them. And what they do is they they read five-star reviews from Amazon, which is people who actually really like the movie that they've just destroyed, because it's usually like a movie that is unquestionably bad. And so like usually you find some sort of like unbelievable delusion in a five-star review for a god-awful movie. And so that's just... Oh, it's so fantastic. So we're going to kind of do the opposite of that, which is to find like <laughs> trashy reviews, of, of, yes. you know, and it won't work for everything. Like I can't imagine that there's going to be a lot of like one star reviews for, let's say, Holocaust next week. Like and if it is, it's probably not going to be funny for us to talk about. <laughs> right. But the Maybe. reason I, the reason I had this idea was because when I was doing um, some IMDb work for Ricky and the Flash, our last episode, the main review <laughs> on, if you go to Ricky and the Flash on IMDb, the, the, the top review that you see on that page, I'm going to paraphrase it, I don't have it in front of me, but it said, it's from somebody who says that they went to the movie because it looked lighthearted and fun, and it was just a bunch of people yelling at each other at dinner time, and they walked out of the movie. However, they, they said they saw it in the movie theater and they thought everybody was really mean and awful to each other. So they walked out of the movie. However, this to me was the funniest part. The review was seven out of ten stars. What? Which is a pretty it's good an accident. I know. Well, that's that's entirely possible. But like if you walked out of a movie, but you're still giving it seven out of ten stars. <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh my gosh. And that is the that is the main review on the page. It's not like I had to go digging for that. And I thought, well, I wonder if there's always like this kind of crazy on either Amazon or IMDb. Oh, God. You know what? Amazon, Amazon in particular, you cannot trust the star system. There are some truly heinous movies that have four stars. Right. Out of five. And, um, I also, this is a slight tangent, but I also love to find really offbeat um, movie descriptions on Amazon because they exist. They're out there. Sure. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Huh. So, um, like I, I would kind of reference this earlier, there are a lot of reviews of Big Little Lies that essentially say the same thing. I will say that most of them have the date of 2017, so it's mostly about the first season. But I didn't find one that I thought was, like, particularly uh, interesting. They basically are just all saying things like, if you look up one-star reviews on IMDb, it's all it's always like, I'm tired of watching these elite rich women, blah, 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 which to me is very uninteresting and just kind of... Again, I think you're missing the point, so I'm yeah. not going to clarify that. But in future episodes, we may be talking about that a little bit if we find something that's kind of interesting. Um, for now, let's go with our um, other segments here. Let's do Six Degrees. So you suggested Anthony Ramos. Yes. Did you uh, think of any for him? I did. He's in the most recent Godzilla movie with David Strathairn. Who's in River Wild? Indeed, he is. So I didn't know who this guy was. I'm sorry, Anthony Ramos. I'm sure you're listening to oh, this. Oh, everybody, everybody, Anthony Ramos is was in in the Heights and Hamilton and 
um, is a Broadway performer with Lin-Manuel Miranda and is now sort of starting a film career having been launched from Hamilton. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't do my normal thing, which is actually try to do it in my head. I did have to IMDb him, but I got the same connection that you did. Because I saw, when I saw that he was in the newest Godzilla, I saw that in the theater. We talked about it last time. Yeah. I think. And um, not only was David Strathairn in that, there were two others that I can think of. Um, Bradley Whitford is also in the new Godzilla, and he was in The Post. He was kind of her nemesis in The Post. And uh, um, he's so good. He's just basically like, he's Bradley Whitford at this point. In every role, he's Bradley Whitford. Yep. Um, but also in the new Godzilla, and she's kind of the kind of the focal point actor-wise, you know, non-monster-wise. She's kind of the focal point of the Godzilla is Vera Farmiga, who's in uh, The Manchurian Candidate with Meryl. Oh, cool. Yeah, so all three of those were connections to Godzilla. Um, I, yeah, so I guess, did you have other ones for Anthony Ramos that you wanted to mention? Uh, no. I'm assuming, I mean, it's not a direct connection, but he was in A Star is Born as well. I'm sure there's a connection through Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I, I don't know if there is like a direct... AT with Liam Neeson. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think with um, those other ones we're connecting in two, we're, with Bradley Cooper, I think we'd have to go three at least. But um, I would assume Bradley Cooper and Meryl will probably work together at some point. It seems... Yeah, not yeah. unlikely. yeah. Um, so let's see, uh, our next six degrees, I hope people will play along with this one. You can always email us your answers, Meryl Street podcast at gmail.com. We're going with one of my favorite uh, young comedy guys, Danny McBride. He's also done some stuff. Um, he was in, I feel like he was in the most recent alien maybe. Oh, I think. He's been in he's been in quite a bit of stuff now, but I'm a big fan of his HBO shows. They're not for watching with the kids around, but they are funny. Is this the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember. I saw it just one time. I might be lying about that. I think he I think he is though. He's just been in a lot of stuff lately. He turned up in something I watched the other day that I completely forgot that he had a little role in. Um, so he's just, he's, he's another guy who's been around for a while. So I'm sure there are some good connections there, but he's not been in a Meryl movie. So, um, I did not think of a movie I wish Meryl was in. I don't know if you did. Um, you know what? I didn't. Okay. We're talking about Meryl Streep being in horror films. Um, there was that horror movie. I have not seen it, but that horror film that just came out, um, Mama, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, the or Ma. Is it Ma? It's Ma. Yeah, the one with um, Octavia Spencer. Yes. Yeah, I I have no interest in replacing Octavia Spencer because she's a badass. I, she's amazing. Uh, I've heard she. I have not seen the film. I've heard she carries it on commitment alone, um, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, but it would be interesting, just sort of in the vein of w wanting to see Meryl Streep in a horror film. I think it'd be very interesting. I do too, and I know we've actually talked about this at one point or another because um, there was listed on her IMDb uh, within like the span that we've been doing this podcast. But it's been it's it's been gone now for a few months, but it was there for a while. 
And it always said rumored next to her name, so I'm not sure. I could never find anything else that had any legitimacy. But she and Sissy Spacek were uh, set at some point were rumored to be doing uh, a remake of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which to me could have been fantastic. I mean, Sissy Spacek, as I've talked about, is like number two to me, to Meryl. Like, I love Sissy Spacek so much. Yeah. And I would love to see the two of them. Like, that is, again, prime material. And I think if it were done right, you know, think of like, the Grey Gardens remake that was done with Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore. Like, yeah, these things can be done right. It's just so much of what made whatever happened to Baby Jane so iconic is what we know about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis absolutely hating each other in real life. It's true. Because that movie by itself is total schlock. Right. Yeah. No, agreed. So, oh, did you see the... I'm sorry, this is completely not related. Did you see the preview for Little Women? I did not. Wait, is there a trailer out? There, there is a pre... There's like, there's like a teaser trailer. Interesting. I'm going to go watch it right now. Yeah, go watch it. There's a... There's been a... Talk about it next time. Yeah. I did not... I don't know how I missed that. Yeah. It's... Um, Street looks ancient. It's so crazy. Interesting. Well, and she... Um, have you seen the pictures of her from Laundromat? There's a picture if you go to the TIFF website. Oh, no. She does not look ancient at all. She looks quite young and... No, she does. I mean, she obviously is not ancient, nor does she look it. That's why she's so amazing. Right. No, no, I know I know that's not what you're implying. What I mean is, like, in this movie, she's not... Um, we didn't really know anything about this movie. It's just she... The look that she has is very... As I Like, I think that's, again, one of the things that is kind of so remarkable remarkable about her is like her ability to physically transform. I feel like not everybody can do that. This photo of her is amazing in Laundromat. I cannot wait to see this movie. I know, but doesn't she look... Uh, like, it looks like Meryl Streep, but it also doesn't look like Meryl Streep. I know. It doesn't. Seriously, she looks like my neighbor. That's what's so amazing about her. I- I don't think, like, I don't think I could transform like she does. I don't, I, like, there is something about, like, her physicality that, like, is probably, like, you're either born with it or you're not born with it kind of thing. You know, it's not even talent so much as, like, I mean, but, of course, her talent transcends all of that. You know, like, if you could just change your look, that would be one thing. You have to back it up with real talent, too. But it just, like, her ability to change herself physically is also just... Amazing. So, um, again, on those Oscar, I don't even know why I talk about these things, because, again, nobody has seen these movies, so nobody really knows. But uh, I find the uh, speculation about Little Women to be interesting, because for a while it was really high up there, and now it's, like, not on there at all in terms of most of the categories. I feel we can definitely get into it next time. I won't get into it right now. But I feel conflicted about the casting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Um, the I felt like Saoirse Ronan was considered like a real strong possibility for a Best Actress nom, and now I don't see her listed on most of those. I see Emma Watson as a possible like kind of dark horse candidate in the supporting actress, and I don't think anybody really knows how big because Meryl is playing Aunt March, and so nobody really knows how big that role will be made, whether or not she'll be given something juicy or not. Um. 
But maybe something for Laura Dern. She's playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I like that casting a lot. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about this now, what your thoughts are. But yes, let's save it for next time just because we've been going so long here. This might be our new longest episode, actually. It could be. But I love Big Little Lies so much I can't even tell you. Um, oh, also, everybody, we're going to put a pin in it, but we will be discussing the trailer for Cats next time. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> Meryl, I didn't know that wasn't... We didn't talk about that. As we didn't. But we will, people, we will, because we both have lots of things to say. It was shocking, yes, but <laughs> <laughs> look, all I'm saying, and we'll 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 go out on this here, but the um I think I would watch Jennifer Hudson sing anything, or I thought I would watch Jennifer Hudson sing anything until I saw that. And I was like, ah yep. Yep. Yeah, no, it's um it's it's worth discussing. Yes. <laughs> it is going to haunt some people's dreams. Yes. And it's certainly haunting mine. <laughs> it is. It is wild. It is wild. I can't believe nobody put a stop to it at some point is basically where I'm at. But yeah. anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Send us any thoughts. Meryl Street Podcast at gmail.com. It's always fun hearing from people. Uh, next time we will be back talking about Holocaust unless something major happens that derails us again, but Holocaust <laughs> is the plan. Um, and we look forward to it. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. That's all.